Good morning, and thank you so much for joining our live stream today. Uh, we pray that God richly blesses you and that you are truly able to encounter Christ this Sunday morning as you participate with us and worship with us online and study God's Word. And so if you're a guest with us today, this is your first time of being a part of our live stream, or if you've been with us before but never have filled out a Connect card, we would love for you to do that. And so we have an online Connect card. You can go to our website, thewellmonroad.com. The, the link is in the description of this video, and we would love to connect with you, fill that form out. Also, if you want to give and continue to support the ministry of the Well Church, we would love for you to also give. You can go to our website, thewellmonroad.com, scroll down, click give, and you are free to give in that way as well. God bless you, and may you, are richly, may you be richly blessed by our service today. Good morning, Well family. My name is Erin. I'm a covenant member of The Well, and I just want to say to all our guests, friends, and family, thank you for tuning in this morning. Um, I just want to spend a little time in prayer before we kick off our service at 10 a.m., and again, I just want to say thanks for tuning in. So please pray with me. Father God, just thank you so much, Lord, that um, we can still continue ways to just gather together as your church, Father. Um, and, and be together virtually, God. I thank you for technology um, in this way that we can still just gather in our, even just in our immediate families, God. God, I, um, I just ask this morning, Lord, that you would just, just strip away any distractions that may be in our lives um, and just let us hear your word this morning and use it to apply it to our lives, God. Bless uh, Larissa as he brings the word this morning, Lord, just just fill him up with your spirit and let none of him be seen, God, but just you. And God, I just I just pray that your word just um, just fills uh, people, our hearts, that people don't know you, God, that they know you today, God, that just because we're home doesn't mean, Lord, that we can be away from you, Lord. And God, I just pray um, over our country, Father, uh, just as we transition into the next uh, phase of quarantine, God, I just pray that you would be with us, Lord, that you would protect us, God, and, and heal the sick, Father. Um, and I just pray you for all the good things that you have been doing through this time, Lord. Um, but again, God, we just thank you. We thank you for Jesus and what he's done for us, God, for the cross, Lord. And uh, Lord, just, just be with us this morning and through these hard times as some of us are struggling with our jobs and, and different things, God. And we just love you, Lord, and it's in your name I pray.
Good morning. We are continuing our sermon series in the book of Philippians. Uh, today we're going to be journeying to Philippians chapter 3. Our series is called Harmony, a Church in Tune with God. And so we see this theme of unity throughout the scriptures that, that the church should be unified with one another. And we want to continue in that and uh, uh, diving deeper into what Paul is talking about throughout Philippians and the various other things that he uh, talks about as well. And so join with me, uh, Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 1, all right? Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. And so we're going to be using the Christian Standard Bible. If you don't uh, have a Bible with you, then uh, the passages are also going to be on the screen. Here we go. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 says, In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews regarding the law, a Pharisee regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung or garbage or trash or manure, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is from faith in Christ, the, right, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this, this day that you've given us, this morning. You are a good God, and your mercy endures forever. Your word says that you are the Lord God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love, that your love is faithful through a thousand generations, uh, that you forgive uh, the sins of individuals. But, Lord, your word also says uh, that you visit the sins of the Father upon the Son and the uh, uh, third and fourth generation, Lord, that you do not allow sin to go unpunished. So we thank you, God, that you are both gracious and merciful, but just and fair. And we thank you, God, for who you are today. We pray, Father, as we dive into your word, as we seek to be a church in harmony with one another and in tune with you, Lord, that you will bless this time, that our ears will be open to receive what it is that you have us to hear today. God, we've had our chance to speak to you. We've prayed and we've sung songs, Lord, and now we get to hear from you. So open our hearts. Let this be fertile ground that you sow your word on today. Let us receive all that you have for us. And God, I decrease today so that your spirit may increase in me, that this is not about me. This is all about you. This is all about your word, all about who you are and how we can grow in intimacy with you. So may you be glorified through the proclamation of your word 
this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've ever been ziplining, then it can be a very thrilling experience. But then on the other hand, it could be absolutely terrifying, and it just depends on the person that you are. For me, my first time ziplining, I was terrified, and, and it didn't help that I had terrifying events that happened before. And so I'm leading a team at Secret Springs. Uh, this is our mentor team for our Brighton Horizon Summer Camp. And so we take them to Secret Springs for a team-building activity. And uh, what we had to do is we had to do the high ropes, which meant that you had to climb 30 feet in the air onto this pole, on this pole, and walk across two wire cables up to another pole and then walk across one wire cable and finally you got to the zip line. And I just want you to know something, right? I'm average size for an A-grade little girl, right? I, I don't have a whole lot of upper body strength. And so for me climbing 30 feet in the air, I was exhausted. And so now I got to still uh, uh, climb and walk across this, this high rope, bruh, for the birds. Nevertheless, I didn't. So I'm scooting across the high rope, terrified, and I finally make it to the other end, and now it's one rope. I don't know who thought that was a good idea, but that was the case. And so I finally get to the place of the zip line, and he unhooks me from the one rope to the next rope. And so I'm sitting there, and I sit down, and it is the most disrespectful zip line I've ever met in my life because it immediately starts to, like, tug on me as if it's trying to pull me off the platform. And so the guy behind me, he's like, hey, are you ready? Just count down, and then, you know, we'll, you'll, you'll move off. All right, cool. Here we go. All right, one, two. All right, I, I don't think I can do this because I'm just, this is not going to work for me. And so he, he's talking to me, and we're, you know, getting relaxed. And so he told, tells me to hold on to the rope. And so finally I build up the courage, and I push off the platform, and I started to fall. And I'm screaming to the top of my lungs, oh, Lord Jesus! Right? And that's why I say every single time. In fact, here's my face. This is my face all the times that I've done the zip line. And this guy in the red, look at him, just enjoying my pain, enjoying all the hurt and agony that I'm experiencing because I'm about to fall to my death. And so I'm falling, and I'm holding on to the rope for dear life because I'm afraid that if I let go of this rope, I'm going to fall and die. And so I'm holding on, I'm holding on, I'm scared, and it just gets to the point, and I'm praying because I'm like, God, I can't hold the rope anymore. My arm's so tired. And I used all the upper body strength that I had climbing up this uh, 30-foot pole. And so finally, I'm so exhausted, I can't do it, and I just let go, and I start to fall into my harness because I was wearing a harness the whole time. And I learned something in this experience, that the entire reason why, the reason why I was so afraid, I was so afraid and it was so scary for me is because I was trusting in my own ability to hold me up through the zipline experience. And had I not trusted myself and trusted in my harness to hold me up, I would have enjoyed the experience a lot more. And I think that's the reality for all of us is that, that we're trusting in our own ability for salvation, our own ability in our marriage and all of these other things and our work and our career and our lives instead of trusting in Jesus. See, the, 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 the fact of the matter is, is that your trust should be in Jesus. And that's our bottom line today, that confidence in yourself is worthless, but confidence in Jesus is invaluable. I say it again, confidence in yourself 
is worthless, but confidence in Jesus is invaluable. Our, our confidence should never be in our own ability, but instead our confidence should be in Jesus. That is who we should place all of our trust, all of our confidence in, in him. And I, and I, I believe that uh, in chapter 3, Paul unpacks why this is important that we don't place our confidence in ourselves, but we place our confidence in Jesus. Here it is. Let's look at verse 1 again. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord to write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. So Paul is giving the, the, the church of Philippi a warning. And he's warning them about a particular group of individuals known as Judaizers. And the thing about the Judaizers is what they believed is that in addition to the saving work of Jesus Christ, placing your trust in Jesus, you also need to be circumcised in order to be saved. Now, this, this teaching is false. It is a false gospel, and Paul uh, disagrees with it. He not only disagrees with it, he rebukes it in other letters and other writings like Galatians, and he, he stands in opposition to this because it is indeed in opposition to the gospel. And so Paul is warning them of this. He's saying, be aware of those dogs. He calls them dogs. He calls them mutilators of the flesh, uh, those who consider themselves uh, the circumcision, because those who are really the circumcision, those chosen individuals of God, are not those who have a physical outward circumcision, but those who have an inward circumcision, that there's a circumcision of the heart, that God has removed the excess from your life and has brought you to a place of trusting in him. Paul says the real circumcision are those who worship by the Spirit of God, those who boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. And so here's our first point. True believers put confidence in Christ and not themselves. And this is what Paul points out. He's saying that our boast, who we worship is Christ Jesus. Who we, who we put our confidence in is Christ Jesus. And who we boast in is Christ Jesus. And so all the accolades, all the, the, uh, uh, the credit goes ultimately to Jesus and not to ourselves. He says true believers don't put confidence in themselves. They don't put confidence in their flesh. When he used this word flesh, uh, it, it typically is referring to our sinful nature. And so what Paul is saying is your own ability to achieve salvation cannot be trusted. Because ultimately your nature, uh, as theologians would call it, is unregenerated. That means that it does not have the ability to choose God. It is so deeply stained by sin that it doesn't matter how much tide or gain or whatever you use to wipe away the stain out of your, your flesh or your body or your nature, it cannot be removed. You need something greater than yourself. And so our nature is stained just as if I, I ate some chili this morning and I got a, a chili stain on my shirt. It would be difficult to come out. And so we are stained by sin. And because of that, we cannot trust in ourselves to achieve salvation for ourselves. We can't do it. We're too sinful. We need someone greater and higher and better than ourselves 
to do that for us. See, for you to trust in your own ability to be in right standing with God, to be pleasing before God, is for you like to jump out of the plane without a parachute. Yes, imagine that. Imagine you're flying on a plane 12,000 feet in the air, and you're getting ready to jump. And instead of grabbing the parachute, you grab nothing. And you jump out of the plane, and the thing that you do to save yourself is you start to flap your arms. And you tell me how much sense does that make? How much sense does it make for you to trust yourself that in flapping your arms and you're falling to the ground at 120 miles per hour, that that would be enough to save you from this inevitable death? It's not. It won't save you. Instead, the most logical thing to do is not to trust in your own ability to stop you from hitting the ground at 120 miles per hour. The most logical thing to do is to grab a parachute And when you jump out to trust the parachute, trust the parachute is going to be able to save you from this inevitable death. And that's the same thing we need to do with Jesus. We need to trust Jesus to save us from our sin, save us from the penalty of sin, which is death. All of us are deserving of death because of our sin. Romans uh, 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Your payment for your sin is death. That's why every man dies. And then it doesn't just stop there, but there's a spiritual death that comes after that where we are eternally separated from God. You need to not place your confidence in yourself, but instead in Jesus, that he can save you from the penalty of sin, which is to be eternally separated from God, to to be in hell forever. Only Jesus can save you from that. And I want to take you a little further, all right? I I want you to to not stop at just trusting in Jesus in in, in being saved, but also you need to develop that same mindset in all aspects of your life, that your confidence needs not to be in your own ability. So when you think about your, your work life, don't just trust in your ability to perform well. Trust in Christ empowering you to do that. When it comes to your marriage, because many of us are, are stuck in the house with our spouses and stu- stuck in the homes with our children, and maybe for you if you're single with your roommate, and, and you're trusting in your own ability to allow peace to be in your home and you not kill your spouse or kill your kids, right? But, but I would encourage you that in light of all of those things, Don't place your confidence in yourself. Because if I thought through that, if I worked that out in my own life, what ended up happening is, is that I'll never apologize in an argument. I'll never reflect on how I could do better in a circumstance if I only trust in my own ability because ultimately I'm flawed. What I'm saying to you today, I'm saying that you do not have the capability within your own power to have successful relationships that you don't have the strength within your own ability to have a successful career. And if you were to do these things without Jesus, ultimately they won't amount to anything, which brings us to our next point, that Jesus is far greater than all that we used to value. Let's look at the verse. Although I have reason, this is Paul talking, for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews regarding the law, a Pharisee regarding zeal, persecuting the church, 
regarding the righteousness that is, that is in the law, blameless. I want to pause there. Here's what Paul is, is showing us. He's, he's giving us his resume. These Judaizers are taking confidence in their ability to earn salvation through circumcision and other acts of, of, um, of, of gaining Christ's uh, affection or, or righteousness. But Paul is, Paul is pointing to something here. He's saying if anybody could brag about or, or have confidence in their flesh, it's me. Let me give you my resume. He says, first off, I was, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. And, and then he says, born of Hebrews, born Hebrew, Hebrew born of Hebrews regarding the law. And so what Paul is pointing to is his ethnic background. Paul was unlike any proselyte or anybody who wasn't born a Jew and their parents didn't follow the law. The Jewish boy was supposed to be circumcised on the eighth day. Paul had that. Not only of that, but he had two full-blooded Hebrew parents. He was from the nation of Israel and also of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin is a small tribe, but was faithful. Even in the midst of their, their first king coming out of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, Saul, even though uh, their, their king uh, 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 was dethroned and God raised up David, the tribe of Benjamin still remained faithful to the king of Israel that God had ordained. And so ethnically, Paul has a lot to brag about and to boast about. But not just there, but also he comes to the other end, which is the things that he's done. And he talks about how that he was, he was a, a Pharisee. And Pharisees were known for uh, strictly following the law of Moses. They were known for all of the ceremonial cleansings, and, and they were revered at these, as he, these individuals that kept the law. And Paul didn't even stop there. Though he was a part of the strictest sect of Jews, he even went further, as, as, as his life shows, to, to be so zealous for the law that he persecuted the church. So while others just simply was angry or considered those who were Christians to be wrong, Paul went a step further as to get permission to throw them in jail, affirming their own killing of Christians. Paul was there when the first Christian was martyred for his faith. Paul stood there in approval. Paul said, check my resume, bro. Like, I was born a Hebrew. My parents followed the law. I'm full-blooded in this thing. And not only that, but check my resume, bro. I was persecuting the church. I'm a whole thug out here. <laughs> Paul is saying, look, if you look at my resume, I could boast and have confidence in my flesh. But check out the turn in verse 7. He says, but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. Everything Paul had, all of this ethnic, uh, 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 ethnic worth and value that Paul had, all of this, these things on his resume, those things that he considered valuable, now he considers loss. And he says this three times. Let's look at all of it. Verse 7, he said, and I want you to watch every time you see the word lost, loss, and what comes after that. Verse 7, but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them as dung so that I may gain Christ 
and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. And so Paul uses the word loss three times. And what is the things that he's considering loss? He's considering what his life used to be. And everything that he considered valuable, he considered his ethnic heritage as valuable. He says that's loss. He considered his, uh, his strict following of the law and him earning righteousness and being pleasing to God. He, his own abilities, he considered those things lost. And any other thing that he did not name in the scriptures, Paul considers those things lost in comparison to what? In regards to what? In regards to Jesus. And he says this in three different ways. The first time he says, because of Christ. I consider it lost because of Christ. And then he considers it lost. And he even adds more emphasis by adding the fact that it was garbage or dung or manure. He says those things in comparison to the surpassing value of knowing Christ. So even to know Jesus, to have Jesus, and then that's the point he makes the next time. He says, consider it lost in the things that he suffered, to know and be found and to gain Christ. So to gain Christ and be found in him. Paul says, because of Jesus, in the value of knowing Jesus, and to gain and be found in Jesus, everything before that was a loss. And these are accounting terms that Paul is using. So it's kind of like, you know, you look at your bank account, he thought these things of, of being super religious and being uh, a Pharisee and being born of the tribe of Benjamin. All these things were positive to his account. But it actually is a negative. And actually, none of these things mattered. If anything, it put Paul in the red. But when he gained Jesus, it added something to value. That Jesus was more valuable than anything that Paul had ever had in his life. So much so that, that in having Jesus, when he thought was, he was righteous, he wasn't. But now that he does have Jesus, he is righteous. And this righteousness came not from his own ability, but from the work of Jesus Christ. And he put his faith in Jesus. And so let me say this very clearly. That you are saved not because of any good thing that you've done. You're saved because of Jesus. Nothing else. And so Paul says, anything before Jesus, it was garbage. It's crap. It's dung. It's manure. But everything after Jesus, Jesus himself, is way more valuable. There's a... Uh, if you're a football fan, then you're probably familiar with the Seattle Seahawks. They had one of the greatest defensive coordinators. In fact, they were called the Legion of Boom. And Rocky Sito was the uh, uh, defensive coordinator for, for uh, the Seattle Seahawks. And it says that his responsibility over the years was the implementation of the Seahawks' rugby-style tackling. And so what happened with Rocky Sito at 42 years old, he decided to Stop playing football. And the reason why he stopped playing football is because he wanted to pursue ministry full time. And here's his famous quote. He says that Jesus is better than the F Super Bowl. 
Isn't it amazing? This, 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 the physical coordinator, this, this coach who, who probably played at some point in time and football has became his life and the ultimate thing that any athlete wants to achieve is the championship. And he gets to indulge and have that one thing. And you know what he says about it? He says that Jesus is still better. And I want you to to come to terms with that reality. I don't know what what things that you value in your life or what things you've been putting number one in your life, but can I be very clear that Jesus is better? Jesus is better than anything that you can have. Jesus is better than the most attractive spouse. Jesus is better than any job, any dream job that you've always wanted to have. That you put all of this time and effort into developing your craft and to going to school and to learning all of these things, and you finally get that job. But can I tell you that Jesus is still better? Jesus is better. And my encouragement to you today is that you will start to live in that reality that you begin to, to adjust your focus and identify the idols in your life and why you can't see that Jesus is better. Or why don't you live in such that Jesus is better? To have Jesus is better than anything else that you can have. All the riches in the world does not compare to having Jesus. All the attention, all the followers, likes, does not compare to having Jesus. And this is another reason why we should place our confidence in Christ. Because placing our confidence in Christ not only allows us to be made righteous and pleasing in God's sight, but it fills a void that only he could fill. All of us are empty. We're bankrupt without Jesus. And so he is, he is more valuable than your own efforts because he gives something that you can never give yourself and no one else could ever do it either. And then Paul transitions in verse 10 to tell us what his goal is. So I'm not putting my confidence in myself, in my flesh, in my resume. Instead, I'm putting my confidence in Jesus. And so therefore, since my confidence in Jesus, this is what I want. This is my goal. Verse 10 says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that his ultimate goal is to know Jesus. And this know that he's using, this is not a, a, uh, just a general knowledge type of know. The word instead denotes uh, a, a personal experiential knowledge of an individual. Paul is saying that he wants to experience and know Jesus more intimately, so much so that he shares in the suffering that Jesus uh, displayed in his lifetime, that he is conformed to the death of Jesus Christ, meaning that Paul wants to die to himself and die to his sins, just as Jesus died for Paul's sins. Paul wants to be like Jesus in every way. Jesus suffered in this lifetime so that we can be freed. He wants to suffer on behalf of Jesus. 
Jesus died so that we could be freed of our sins. Paul wants to die for his sins, I mean, to his sins, just as Jesus died for his sins. Paul is saying, I want to know Jesus so intimately that I can experience the power of the resurrection, the, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. I want to experience that not only in my life, but even to enjoy and be a part of the resurrection afterwards. Paul says, I want to know Jesus and know him intimately. This is his priority, and this is our final point today. Knowing Christ is your ultimate priority as a Christian. Knowing Christ is your ultimate priority as a Christian. Paul says, this is my goal. I want to know Christ, and your priority should be to know Christ. Again, not a a general knowledge of, yes, the Sunday school answer, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but to know him experientially, to know him personally, to to know him in such a way that it's not you just read a bunch of facts, but that you've done life with Jesus and you've walked with Jesus. I think this has implications on how we serve Christ. Then when we think about the things that we do, then we need to be mindful of that. Because, again, what, what I'm trying to hammer at is that we don't just want to be guilty of doing, right? We, we read our Bible and we're doing. We're, we're praying. We're doing. We need to be mindful that it's, it's very easy to get caught up in just setting goals and just saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. For example, we could set goals like I want to read the Bible in a year or I want to read the Bible for this amount of time a day or I want to pray this amount of times a day or for however long. And we need to be careful that when we're setting these goals that this is the end in itself. But instead, if you're doing all this Bible reading and you're doing all this praying and the goal isn't to know Jesus, it's in vain. It's worthless. If we're working simply for the fact to earn some favor with God or to check things off our list because we tend to be those individuals that like badges, just like Facebook gives you the rising star badge or the, uh, uh, the conversation starter badge, we start to look for these badges that I've read my Bible this many times or I've, I've got all of these streaks. And those things are nice to do and you should set goals. But if, if the action in itself is the end, It's pointless. Your fasting should ultimately be to know Jesus. Everything that you do in your life, it should bring you back to your priority of knowing Christ intimately. And here's what I'm learning, especially when I I think about giving a gift, right? I've I've had to, to, to really learn how to do that better in marriage because if you look at the five love languages, I'm not a gift giver. My, my gift giving is zero. My mom showered me with gifts growing up as a kid. I would walk home. I mean, I would come home, go in the bedroom, find new outfits. She just she gave and gave and gave and gave, and I'm grateful for her. But gifts don't excite me a whole lot. And so, but then also I'm not thinking how to give gifts very well. And so what you learn in gift giving is really not all about the gift itself. It's more about the the thought and the effort that went into it. And so if, if you, when you're giving an individual a gift, you, you, want to, you want to give deep thought to it because the gift shows that you've been listening to the person, that you, 
that you're engaged in some level of intimacy with them when you give that gift. It, it really shows that you know this individual. If you buy a gift that's something that they have no interest or desire in, the question would be, do, do you even know them? And we bring our gifts to God. And we bring singing and we be praised and we do this for the church and we do all of those things. And, and are we doing these things apart from knowing him? What I'm saying is that there, there's no value in doing these things if it does not come from a place of knowing Jesus. You want to give God a gift. You'll understand how to better give to God and serve God and honor God if you spend time knowing him. To make that your priority as a believer. And so I encourage you today to not place your confidence in yourself. That the confidence in yourself ultimately is worthless, it's garbage, it's trash. But confidence in Jesus is invaluable because only Jesus has the means to save you, to save your soul, to be made righteous before God. And so my encouragement to you today is don't be confident in your own abilities. Don't be confident in yourself. Be confident in Jesus. That Jesus Christ is all that you could ever need. So if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know him, if you're not experiencing him, if you're not walking in relationship with Jesus, if you never turned away from your sin, I want to encourage you today to stop trusting in yourself to be righteous. Stop trusting in yourself to be good. And today, you can turn away from your sins and place your trust in Jesus. And he'll save you. God bless you and may God keep you.